Welcome to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www. So we continue today. We have two weeks left in our third verse sermon series. This is, for those of you who are here maybe for the first time, this is based on scriptures that were given to me as kind of a challenge by one of our youth, Bolton Stegall, and he found some verses that aren't often preached on, and so they It's been a whole lot of fun, actually, to try to figure out where God might take us with them. And so today, as we continue that, we are going to cover one of the greatest biblical stories ever turned into a children's book, and yet the story of one of the worst prophets in all of the Old Testament. It's so bad, in fact, his prophecies, that... um, there isn't really much written about what he said. It was really the whole story is about kind of how he ran away from wanting to go and speak these words that God had given him. And so many of you might know uh, this story. People actually listened to this particular prophet and it made the prophet mad. This is, of course, the story of Jonah. Probably one of the most popular prophets of all time, I think because we can really relate to Jonah on a very human level. You may remember the story. Jonah's minding his own business, living his best life when God's prophetic call comes to him and tells him to go to Nineveh and preach a message of repentance. Now, Jonah wants none of this because Nineveh is the capital city for the Assyrians. The Assyrians are the traditional enemy of the Israelites. There's a population in this city of Nineveh of about 120,000 people, and some say it was the largest city in its day. The text tells us about all of the, the sinful behavior of the people in Nineveh. They were, there are legends about the things that happened there, including some of the cruelty related to the Jewish people themselves. It is said that they often skinned Jews alive and would put their bodies on display in the city. So can you kind of understand why Jonah's just a wee bit reluctant to go into this city? Not only is he probably a little afraid, he has no love for these people. And so he refuses, and he flees and goes about 750 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh, and he's trying to get to Tarshish, which is a city located kind of in southern Spain. He makes it all the way to Joppa, and then he hits water, and so he has to get on a boat, and y'all may remember that story. He gets on the boat, things don't go so well, the boat is about to capsize, and eventually Jonah gets thrown off the boat, and he gets swallowed by a... A whale, that's right, Uh, or a very big fish. And there he spends three days before finally this stubborn prophet repents and agrees to go do what God has asked him to do. And so God's answer to that is the fish throws up and it throws Jonah up. And uh, so he heads reluctantly to the city of Nineveh. And this is where we pick up the story for today in the fourth and final chapter of Jonah. That's our reading for today. So the Bible Project did a video. We're going to watch a portion of it that just relates to the fourth chapter. And so I invite you to tune in. 
I find that whole mirror thing challenging. I don't really like it when scripture does that, and it does it quite a bit. Some years ago, Philip Yancey wrote a best-selling book, and it was called What's So Amazing About Grace? Maybe some of you in this room have read it or been in a Sunday school class that has taught it. He talks about grace being the last great word because grace is this unmerited favor towards those of us who have no claim upon nor any reason to expect God's blessing, God's compassion, God's love. It's commonly said that Christianity is supremely a religion of grace, because that's true, right? We sing about grace, we teach about grace, we name our children grace. We have a grace, she's over there somewhere, there she is. We name our churches, we have a grace in our community, Grace Church. So we always are talking about grace, but though the word is often on our lips in worship services, It's a really hard concept to live into, especially when it's pointed outside of us. And so I think a lot of us have some skepticism about grace. Yancey goes on to say that grace shocks us in what it offers. It is truly not of this world. It frightens us with what it does for sinners. Grace teaches us that God does for others, honestly, what we would never do for them. I mean, some of us might save the not so bad, the okay folks. But God wants to save everyone. He starts with the prostitutes and the prodigals and then he works downward from there. Grace is a gift that costs the giver everything and the receiver nothing. And it's given to those of us who don't deserve it, barely recognize it and hardly appreciate it. Because the bottom line is that God is so much more gracious than we are. He saves many people that we wouldn't save if we were God. He blesses people many of us wouldn't bless. He invites people into use by him that we would never, ever let be in service to us. And I think that's part of the struggle with our faith. Listen again to Jonah's words when he finds out that God is going to spare the people of Nineveh. This is what he says. Oh God, isn't this what I told you you were going to do in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a graceful God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And as the video said, his words come from a confession in Exodus about how good God is. And it is God's words that echo this. God says, I am a gracious God. I am a God who is quick to mercy, slow to anger. And so Jonah knows God very well. But it raises an important point. You can know the scriptures inside and out You can have an eloquent way of talking about them and even sharing them. You can even have actions that are in line with God. I mean, Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh and does what he's supposed to do. But it's not enough to simply know it. It's not even enough sometimes to simply be compliant if our heart is not where it needs to be. If our heart is not in line and in love with God, and part of being in love with God means being in love with the people that God loves. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if I speak in the tongue of mortals and angels, but I don't have love, I am just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions and I hand over my body so that I may boast but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And this is where Jonah is. It's where we meet him. He is openly complaining about God's lavish love towards a sworn enemy. His disobedience to God's initial call was one thing, but his secondary lack of compassion and mercy for the people of Nineveh, I think, is a far deeper and darker thing. He hates them so much that he cannot even bear to see God's mercy given to them. He would rather die than have God show them grace. And it's easy to say, well, that's Jonah. But truthfully, from time to time, we can find ourselves in those spaces too, where we just get so frustrated by God's tremendous grace. Aren't you glad that Jonah's not God? And aren't you glad that you are not God? I think the doctrine of grace, for as much as we love to receive it, is really a hard doctrine in our scripture Because truthfully, we all have our Ninevehs. Ninevehs that pull us out of our comfort zone and Ninevehs where God calls us to go where we really don't want to go, where we're not comfortable. Ninevehs, the people that hurt us deeply and God still says, go and proclaim my message to them. Nineveh feels dangerous. It is uncomfortable. Nineveh is whatever you hate that God loves deeply. So this past week, I had an opportunity to go to Little Rock, and I was there for a conference. And while I was there, we visited Little Rock Central High School. Some of you may be familiar with that particular school. It was the site of forced desegregation in 1957 after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the segregation of public schools was unconstitutional. And so... um, When we were there, we learned about the Little Rock Nine, which were the first nine African-American students who eventually gained entry into the school. And we learned about all the things that happened to them inside of the school walls. And I, I guess I just had a real unawareness of this. They were beaten, they were verbally assaulted, they were spit on, they had acid shot at them out of water guns and urine and other things. And they were told that they were not allowed to in any way defend themselves, physically or verbally. And if they did, that they would be immediately expelled. I cannot imagine the courage it took day after day to walk back into that school and to face the other students whose hate for you was tremendous. I would have to imagine that those nine were just a living, walking embodiment of grace all the time to just be there and be present in that place. And their presence made an incredible impact. Two years later, Sybil Jordan, who is now Dr. Sybil Jordan Hampton, joined the Little Rock Nine, and she became the actual, the first one to go through all four years in that high school. And we had the honor of listening to her come and speak to us. And she told us a little bit about her personal experience. And one of the things she told us about was by the time that she got there, The students had changed tactics a little bit. Some of those other things still happen, but they had gone to shunning the nine plus now Sybil. And so they didn't speak to them at all. 
And so she went through all of her years in high school with not one person other than the teachers who occasionally had to speak to her, talking to her. Now for you high schoolers out there who are social creatures, imagine that. Just you're invisible. Nobody talks to you. Nobody acknowledges you are there. Nobody looks at you. And that is what she faced day after day. And so for a long, long time, she worked through all of that. And 20 years went by before she was ever even invited to a high school reunion. And she was invited by one student who, after praying about it and thinking about it, felt really moved to invite her and to try to work towards healing some of what had happened. And so she decided to come. She lived in New York. She flew all the way to Little Rock and she got there. And you know what happened? I wish I could tell you that all the students gathered around her and said they were sorry, but they didn't. She came and nobody wanted to sit with her. They couldn't find anyone who would sit at her table. And so again, she sat by herself until the one who invited her came and sat by her. And when he sat by her, others, because he was a pretty popular student in high school, came to speak to him And he indirectly kind of forced the issue in reintroducing her. But still, they had a long way to go. And they just had their 50th high school reunion. And she said, finally, after 50 years, after continuing to show up, she was able to begin to have those healing conversations. She felt like God used her as a vessel for grace to be able to offer forgiveness to those who probably didn't deserve it. Those who had been incredibly cruel to she and her classmates, and yet, being a part of that, she said, was transformative, not just for those who received the grace, but also for her who had an opportunity to extend that grace, and it healed a part of her. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to her, and I am moved so deeply because I recognize that grace. It can only come from God. So many times God has forgiven me and welcomed me back home, just as she did for those others. Pastor John Ortberg wrote, redeeming is what God is into. He is the finder of the directionally challenged sheep, the searcher of missing coins, and the embracer of foolish prodigal children. His favorite department is the lost and found If there's one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it's perhaps in his loving longing to forgive. God loves everyone, and scripture teaches us that God isn't willing for anyone to perish. He wants all people to know him, and God is a God of mystery and majesty. God came in the form of a human being, but God is so much beyond us as humans. And you've seen it in your own lives. Maybe you never thought some of the people sitting around you would come to know Jesus Christ. Maybe they never thought you were going to come to know Jesus Christ, and they're real glad that you're here, and they're surprised to see you, though. Maybe there's people in your work, the same is true for them, too. How does that happen? Well, because God continues to pursue and to work and does so in ways that we often don't understand and often calls us to be a part of that work in the world if we're just willing to do it, if we'll just look hard and see what is happening around us. You know, God extends this grace to us and only asks for one thing in return, that we go and do likewise. In the Lord's Prayer, There is that line that says, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Imagine if the measure by which we were forgiven 
was that amount that we had forgiven and shown grace to those who trespassed against us. You know, thankfully, God doesn't wait on us to act. God goes ahead of us. It didn't let us off the hook, but we do have a God who is always working on our behalf, and we see this in the story of Jonah. He sends the bush as a means of teaching Jonah what grace is all about. And this is what he says to him after the tree withers. Is it right for you to be angry about this bush? And Jonah, of course, is, well, yes, angry enough to die, God. And then the Lord said, you're concerned about the bush that you didn't labor for and you didn't grow and it came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, the great city in which 120,000 persons live who don't know their right hand for their left and also many animals? And it ends with a question mark. Only book of the Bible that ends with a question mark. And I love this because we don't know what Jonah does next. It's just like the story of the prodigal son and his older brother. Remember, his older brother was so mad that his father was throwing a party for his brother, so mad that he couldn't participate at all in the celebration. And I love this reminder that that is so often us, but it isn't God who separated the brother. It isn't God who separated Jonah. It was them, it's us. It is often us who pull away from God in those spaces. And here is God again and again inviting us to come back and to receive the gift of grace, but not just receive it, but then also to receive the great gift of being able to share it. And that is the story of Jonah, and it's our story too. Let us pray. God, you do continue to pursue us and invite us. And we wrestle, God, and we have those moments, Lord, when we just, we aren't sure what you're up to. And we find ourselves at times frustrated, separating ourselves from you, allowing our own bitterness, our own past wounds to keep us from really stepping forward in faith as you call us to do. God, I just pray that in healthy ways we might work with you to think about what extending grace and forgiveness might look like. That you might be our guide, that you might teach us to love as you love fully and completely so that we might continue to grow in maturity and in our faith, following your example in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.